record two intros at the same time (laughs) so i'm like all our small talk is gone but is it is it really no is it ever (laughs) no no i watched a cute movie last night oh did you hold on did you watch did you find the saddest movie ever (laughs) (laughs) so you actually ask me this question all the time you're like what's the saddest movie (laughs) and i'm always like um once or you know what was once oh i couldn't find once i have no idea what the fuck once is oh god it's so good i don't know where you would find it i guess it's it's no one yeah, you don't do no it's it's around but it's um that's one of my favorite favorite movies who's in um, it nobody nobody well glenn hansard and um the the musician <gasps> oh and, is this the one where they sing yeah oh i love that album Marquita Savoy. Oh my god, that song it. used to make me just die. Well, um, the movie would make you triple no. die. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I know that movie. That's mm. like from two thousand and five. Seven. Seven? Yeah. Two thousand and that that time. Take this broken ship, Take right? This nope. Broken Don't. ship. <laughs> 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 yeah, I never saw the movie, but I listened to the song and it broke my heart. So I imagine the movie will break my heart well, too. Well, there's a more see 2007, dude. And then I in real life, on. they got in together. Right? I know that because in yeah, real life, they, I know like, that part of my, I know that phase of my life so well. And this came like it just, yeah, Mar- Marquetta Erglova. Er- Mm-hmm. Um, and ugh. and then they like fell and the movie was about them falling in love and then they fell in love in real life right yeah and now yeah. they're broken up yeah mm-hmm. yes it's um it's a gutting movie and beautiful too cool even just thinking about it no so that's not what i watched last night though because you i suggested you said, internal watch- sunshine of a spotless mind which i think is one of the most tragically sad movies it's too tragically sad for me like that's not what i was looking for that oh. like you know, you need a specific flavor. Like I get like this once or so a month where I'm really sad, but I cannot cry. Like it's just not, I, I can't mm. cry. Mm-hmm. And so I usually go to music or movies, um, to like get me there. Um, but I didn't want to watch eternal sunshine. I've watched it too many times. And I asked mm. Meadow and she was like, she said some other movies, but she did say The Hollers. So The Hollers is what I ended up watching last night. Mm-hmm. And it was great. It was really good. And it had um, Jim from The Office, who I love. Oh, he so. was so good in that war movie. I watched him in this like Zero Dark. No, not Zero Dark Thirty. I watched him in a war movie about really? um, See, Benghazi. I he's, he's so like, good in it. It's oh, my God. It's such a good movie. It's about Benghazi. Um <sighs> He's good. 
Yeah, I didn't know he was like a uh, legit actor in movies. He's a legit actor. He's so good. And he's adorable. Yeah, adorable. Yes, he he's a cute God. guy. He's a cute guy. Um, cool. So that was. Did you cry? Yeah. I had a few tears. It was enough. Yeah. It was enough. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. I watched Moonlight and I did not cry. Um, I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I've actually cried like my quota of the week. Um, it was a beautiful movie, but it did not make <laughs> yeah, me I've cry. Yeah, I've heard it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know what else I've watched. La La Land did you cry? Sec- La La Moo cry. I saw the new season of Girls. I've seen that. I've been watching that. It's not, it's, no, mm-mm. No, I'm just so tired. It's just when that sh- when the show moves into them, like they're just like they're caricatures of themselves. Like I'm just so yeah. I can't even. Like it I had to turn to it off. The last season, I couldn't even watch like all the way through the second episode last night. I'm sorry, Lena. I love you so much, but I'm done. I like Marty was like fighting with Desi, and you know they're just. It's just like I'm so done. It's not even cute anymore. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um. So shall we? <laughs> shall we? No, I want to keep talking about shows. I do too. There um, was something else. Oh, I did watch. Uh, this is us. The most recent episode. <gasps> that's in, that's the one that's shot in front of my apartment. Did you notice Jesus that? Right. Did you see I, that? You know when yes. he's running. That's in front of. Um, that's in front of games, the bar. It's like he's literally running below my window. I can't stand it, dude. I, I know. That's all I could think of when I watched this last episode. And I don't know if people have watched it. I'm not giving anything away, but he runs out of the play he's supposed to be that he, he directed. He just gave it away. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Sorry. Spoiler. But he's running. I'm just thinking he's running past all these <laughs> I'm like, Such there a- it is. There's beer pong. Oh, (laughs) that's my beer pong sign. Yeah. And like Tubba Keens is like in the back. It's crazy. The whole thing is crazy. All those cabs lined up, walked by them. Um, I love it when New York cabs are lined up on my street in LA. Um, Yeah. You know, it's and you know, it's a high budget like TV show when they're the real New York cabs. They have the real (laughs) tea. Um, Yeah. That was a great, great. episode that show is so fucking good it's so it's, it's so, so good. good oh I cried at that I cried at that part like Me at too. the end I was like I can't even with this it's heartbreaking um okay one more thing to say we really need to go in oh okay this is so um god this is so pointless but I have to tell you it anyway this morning when I was listening to my discover playlist on Spotify as I do all Monday mornings because Spotify knows my heart guess what was in my mix You'll never guess. The Mad Men theme song was in. Oh, get out. No, I'm not. Like, like I was in the tub. I'm listening. And I'm like, you're fucking kidding. Like, they literally somehow know that I just recently watched every episode of Mad Men. And they've thrown we in. We were just talking about, <laughs> we were just talking about it again last week. Um, <laughs> so I just. Anyway. That's pretty wild. God. 
Yeah, well, we it just, just I know, I mean, that. you know, like you're being, I mean, this is the thing. Like when we talk about this, we should talk about this on a show at some point. You know, most people are really concerned about anonymity when they start coming out and saying, I have an, I have an issue with addiction. They're afraid that at that point, that disclosure is what will mark them and <laughs> what will uh, reveal that there's something wrong. Well, the thing is your phone <laughs> tracks everything. There is actually like Target, you know, there's that story. Uh, in it's in Charles uh, Duhigg's book about Target um, actually predicting that a girl was pregnant like mm-hmm. before before her family you know before she to- told anybody they actually predicted just based on her patterns. I mean, there's so much information on us when we walk in, if we, if we check in on Facebook or we walk in any place, walking through, even walking through stores, we can pick up an item and in real time, we'll get a discount on an item because the software is actually tracking us and tracking our behaviors and our spending. Oh, I know. Yeah. It used to be my job. Right. Know this, so yeah, right. And so everything we spend. Hold on, let me finish with my with my diatribe. So everything that we spend, every action we take, every call we make, there's a pattern that's developing, and we like like the computer knows we have a substance abuse problem before (laughs) we even do. And so I always think it's really fascinating because people are so worried about being found out, but you're already found out. Like this is like, it's already there. Um, So anyway, like, so as I'm listening to this this morning, I'm like, how the fuck did they like, how? But it's not that hard to actually pull it out. My Facebook is connected to my Spotify is connected to my, and is connected to Netflix is connect, you know, and so it's not hard to figure out. Like, of course they know how, like my soul, <laughs> because they're watching it and then they're feeding yeah, it they back were to me. There, they were probably sitting there while we were talking to our friend JJ, who was on our. They were like, uh, you know show. what this bitch needs in her playlist this week, Mad Men. So mm-hmm. anyway, it's um yeah, so it's it's terrifying and also just so you guys know when you come out and start like use like sharing about it on Facebook or talking about it with your friends like it's okay this is the least of your worries like believe me like big data (laughs) knows (laughs) it knows yeah that's so funny I seriously never thought about that like yeah the big data knows that you have bought wine like 46 times (laughs) at five different convenience stores within three days like it knows (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's true well it knows i know even if you don't use your credit card even if you use cash like it still is like geo tracking you you walked in there that's right that's right (laughs) (laughs) we're so fucked we're so fucked. All right. So let's get on to it. Um, today we are interviewing uh, my teacher, Steph Snyder, mm-hmm. um, my yoga teacher, and also one of the teachers that I mentioned in um, our teacher's episode. And um, this is a really big deal for me and um, and also a really, really scary thing. I was, I was talking to some of my um, friends from my sangha that were in our training together, and I was like, I just interviewed stuff and I never want to do it again. And I was like, I just <laughs> sat there the whole time, like just, um, you know, very prayerful and terrified. And it's, it's funny. It's just, I have a reverence for her that goes beyond what I have for any, like 
anybody. If Oprah, if I had to interview Oprah, I mean, I would get it, but I also would not be as nervous as I was interviewing Steph. Um, well, she's also like, it, like you spent a bunch of time with her in her, you know, she's more real. Don't you think? It's not that then. she's more real. I mean, I could interview like if I had, I, you know, gurus. Like I, I, like believe me, I've had many teachers that I could easily bring on and and talk with, and not have the same reaction that I have with her. But my reaction with her is one of um, just um, I listen. I like I you know stand far back and I bow and listen and. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just she's there's um, nobody has the effect on me that um, that she does. So it was a really like it was a really it was a privilege and an honor. Um, and it was also um, just uh, you never very, want to do it again. Never. I love you, Steph. <laughs> never again. <laughs> no, she was great. I loved it. I love talking to her um, and everything, everything she had to say. It was it was a really great conversation. It was a great conversation. She, I found her when I was, I found her through Yoga Glow and she, um, and then took her class after I found her in Yoga Glow, even though she was in San Francisco. And, um, I knew her story of addiction and, um, not to the full extent, but a little bit, cause she gives a really great Ted talk that we've linked to mm-hmm. in the episode on our website. But, um, this was a real, it was just, it's, it's really interesting to know the, the full, the full story. And also, I mean, her, um, that she's done in the last 17 years since recovery, mm-hmm. since, since, um, getting clean is, um, it's remarkable. And, um, yeah, and she's definitely one to follow. I, I can't recommend anymore. Um, going to one of her life classes, if you're ever in San Francisco at her yoga studio, love story, um, or doing a class with her on Yoga Glow. She also does a lot of festivals. You can, you know, you can follow her too. She has the Yoga Journal Conference. I think she's been on like some twenty Yoga Journal covers. Um, she's a she's a hardcore yoga teacher. Um, and her classes are like the best yoga classes. Um, they really are. I because you talked about her um, before. You know, you had obviously talked about her, and I and I was like, okay, okay. So I and then I remembered. Um, finally taking a class on yoga glow and it's interesting because she's so um, uh, how do I want to say it she's so understated you know oh, like her right? her way that I yeah that is like okay like I, I can you know it took me like a little bit but but pretty you know halfway through her class I was like oh she's good oh, this is good. She's really good. Um, it's interesting when a teacher is like that. Cause I've had a lot of teachers who are very, you know, they're all different. Like my main teacher is this very like expressive, funny, sort of, um, flamboyant man. And then, you know, she's just not, she's just very understated, very powerful, but in a, in an understated way. Well, she's hum- She's more humble than any human I've ever met. Like she, I mean, she truly is. Um, and it's not on purpose, if that makes any sense. It's just her way. Her way is very quiet and powerful, um, which is also mm-hmm. what it's, it's um, I think, part of like the intimidation factor of it. It's just there's a lot of reverence for somebody that can carry themselves that way, right? I mean, you wouldn't, like she's also a rock star. We didn't even get into this. She's married to Lars Fredrickson. He's like the lead singer of Rancid. She's a rock star's <laughs> wife. And, and you don't know that. 
that about her. Like you just because it's you know because she's private number one, but two because she's just that's her way. Her way is very like it naturally um, gravitates to humility and um, and just a you know a quiet proud existence. Um, so anyway, yeah. Okay, this is Steph. Hi. Hello. This is um this is a really big honor for me and and I am going to say it again. I'm nervous. Um you said one time. I mean, you've been my teacher since um I mean, I'm starting to cry already. You've been my teacher when I got sober. I, you were in San Francisco and I went to your studio, went to Urban, but I only took Resty's classes and I think I took your class maybe once and and then I found you on Yoga Glow through a girlfriend of mine um when I got sober and then I was just um, there's there's really not a lot of words that explain like how it it felt to find you, um, but I just knew that uh, that you were mine and you were my teacher um, and you were part of me getting sober um, at home in the evenings doing yoga glow with you and <laughs> and then I signed up for your training without having taken one of your classes. <laughs> and, <laughs> You did? You hadn't taken her class yet? In San Francisco. No. Mm-mm. Oh, that's awesome. No, I, was, I mean, I was in my apartment doing all this stuff. I was really in, in like, nesting. And then um, and then I, I came to your class and I said, I'm Holly, and I, I'd sent you a long email telling you about my story. And then, um, but it's just, you know, I think when I hear your voice or when I when I heard your voice, especially when you're in a, in a room with you chanting, um, it's just... Uh, a sound that I um, feel like is uh, a sound that I know. And um, and you once said about your teacher, Dharma Mitra, that you never wanted to be his friend. He was your teacher. And I have a reverence for you that extends beyond uh, what I have for most people. So this is an honor, but I'm also very nervous. <laughs> well, I'm glad we found each other. <laughs> I am too. All right. So... Let's, I mean, we basically want to start by just understanding a little bit about your story. And and you don't really, I mean, you teach some yoga for recovery and you don't really talk about the fact that you're sober. At least I haven't heard you. Um, It's a fact, but it's not, I I don't hear you talk about it very often. And I know your story from watching your TED talk, but I'm just, um, for, for those that are listening, I'd love to know a little bit more in your story. I mean, your story of addiction and, and I know you're, your suicide attempt. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, as a yoga teacher, I do offer yoga for recovery, definitely um, through Yoga Glow, and it's a big part of my story. It's a big part of how I came to um, appreciate yoga in a whole new way, and I think that there's a great parallel between the yoga philosophy and their pr- spiritual principles of recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't talk about being in recovery a lot while teaching yoga unless it's yoga for recovery, just mm-hmm. like I don't talk a lot about being a mom or All about, right. you know, because I don't want to color the teaching mm-hmm. with my personal experience. I want every student in that room to be able to hold on to it and let it be their own. Mm-hmm. So that that's partly why. Um, that's that's really the only reason why. It's not for any any reason that I'm, I would hide it or anything. I mean, I'm definitely very open and public about that and happy to talk mm-hmm. about it anytime and very, very honored to be able to help anyone in re- recovery as a peer, you know. Right. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I have a common story. I was partying my ass off. It was really, really fun. And then it was horrible. Where did you grow up? <laughs> like where I just picture you as San Francisco, but where? No, I where grew you- up in DC. Okay. Yeah. Um, went to Catholic school my whole life. And you know what they say about Catholic girls is true, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and, and, uh, I went to private school and there was a lot of, um, access, uh, Mm -hmm. there, um, through some of the people that I, I met and there was just, it was a huge part of the culture, um, growing Mm -hmm. up was drinking and partying and everybody worked really hard and played really hard. Uh, everyone was, you know, it was a culture of sort of over everything, overachieve, overdo. Uh, and you know, I, I was, I, I, loved it. I mean, I, I was, I was very, um, engaged in that way, You were in. but pardon? You were in. <laughs> yeah, fully. I mean, I'm an all in person. It's part of that addictive personality, right? <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, it just, it took a turn for me, you know, it didn't, it's, it's funny. I always say like, I kept getting older and my friends stayed the same age. <laughs> you you know what I mean? like, yeah. yeah, like a lot of my friends, you know, then they went on and, and did things with their lives and I just didn't, you know, yeah. so, um, so, so what yeah. were you, did you stay like, after, I'm assuming this is after college you're talking about. Yeah. Like you, did you stay in DC or did you? No. So I, I went to college in, um, Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. And I'd always wanted to come out to California, actually, but it was too far to go. Um, my parents didn't want me to go that far for college, so I ended up going to Charleston, South Carolina, which was great and also a great party school, by the way. Yeah, we were. I, put it this way: we were so excited when our college was listed in the top ten universities in High Times magazine. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. Really know if it exists anymore, but huge stoner school. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of fun there. And then I moved after college, I moved out to San Francisco. So okay. literally like I just graduated and put everything I had in my car and um, drove out and I knew one person and I stayed on her couch for about three months. And, um, you know, that's, I, I'd, I guess you could say that's when I, I really sort of jumped into the deep end with addiction. I had a decent job, but it was a fun job. I worked for the Bay guardian and, mm-hmm. um, it, which is now defunct, but it was this mm-hmm. great alternative newspaper. And, you know, we had all the tickets to all the bars and clubs and the shows in town. And I worked on the, like the entertainment side of it. And, um, you know, we all had a beer on our desk. Um, yeah. That's we like were, ideal job. Totally. <laughs> especially if you party a lot. I mean, right. it was just part of the job. So what were you doing for them? I was selling advertising. Okay. Yeah. So everyone wants, you get to like by people basically. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. And I was selling advertising for, uh, for the, um, music section. So labels and bars and clubs and stuff like that. And, uh, everyone there was young and just, it was actually, it was like one of the best times of my life. Um, those earlier days at the guardian, because we were just all the same age and having a great time and living to the fullest. And, um, so th- that, that, that time was still pretty good, but you know, then like, like the story goes, I mean, it started to sort of fall apart. I was unable to handle it, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was up all night. I was, you know, um, partaking in the mornings just to be able to function. Um, oh. and, 
uh, I left that job and I, um, really to serve my addiction, I just didn't want to work that much anymore. I I remember, you know, I was actually pretty good at it. So my numbers were good, but my boss kept saying, you know, can you please try to show up before 11 AM? And and I remember being so indignant, like, what do you want from me? That's so unreasonable, you know, I mean, typical addict behavior, right? (laughs) Steph, what were you, I mean, do you mind if I ask what you were using? Was it alcohol and drugs? Everything. Yes. Alcohol and drugs, mostly drugs. Okay. Yeah. So you leave this job. Yeah. And I take some other BS job because it allows me to work from home and I'm doing air quotes um, (laughs) so that I basically don't really have to work. And that starts to fall apart. You know, I kind of BS my way through that. So I'm partying the whole time. I'm partying all day. I'm partying all night. And then I leave that job before they fire me. That's sort of my MO. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I start, I don't remember, I was like temping and bartending, like doing both of those things at the same time. Cause you can work when only when you need to, you know, mm-hmm. right. um, and partying and partying. And that's all I was doing. I would like downsized my apartment. I got to, you know, I, I ended up, um, now at this point, like on a, a twin mattress in someone's living room, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like a college graduate. I had a great, a great job. I was really successful at the Guardian, actually. And I had just sort of like slowly been downgrading just so I could feed my addiction. And mm. um, and uh, at this point, too, sort of a side note is uh, I had bought a one way ticket to India. Mm, huh. And I was like, I'm just gonna get the hell out of here. Like I knew I needed a solution. I just, yeah, mm-hmm. I was still kind of in denial about that it was my addiction um what just, why india though because yeah. that's such a strange no, choice exactly for exactly why i mean as in, i feel like it's my karma <laughs> i had no reason to go to india at all did you I know just, anything about india nothing and i was huh. like i just wanted to like go far away yeah um, i think i had a, a feeling i mean you know i can say this now like i, I I'm guessing I felt like I needed a spiritual solution. You know, I mean, I was definitely towards the end there. I was feeling like we all do like spiritually dead. I mean, I felt like a a bag of bones with no light inside. And, Mm. um, I, I just was so, you know, so deep underwater that I couldn't, I didn't know like what I needed, but I, I, I thought if I could just get away, you know, that's what we do. So I think India in my mind was like a spiritual place I had heard (laughs) and maybe that would help me. (laughs) But here's the funny thing. I was at, this is how bad it was. I was at a bar and I saw an old roommate and they were like, Hey, I thought, weren't you supposed to be in India by now? And the actual date for me to get on the plane had passed and I didn't even notice. Uh, Oh no. Like you'd bought a ticket. Oh, yeah. yeah. I bought a ticket. It was oh, like over God. a $1,000 ticket. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, yeah, that sounds familiar. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. And how old so, are you at this point? You're in your mid-20s? Uh, yeah, mid okay. to late 20s. Okay. Yeah. It's been, it'll, it's been 17 years. So, um, yeah, I'm 44 now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was... Uh, you know, I was, I was, I was still kind of functioning though. That's the crazy thing. But mm-hmm. inside, like when I got sober, a lot of people were like, what? You don't have a problem. You know, mm-hmm. the people closest to me knew, but, um, I was there, I was doing some yoga. I was, um, you know, I, I mean, I still could pay the little rent that I had. I, I had, you know, I wasn't living on the streets. I was functioning, um, outwardly a little bit, but I, inside I was dying. 
I was yeah, just dying. Right. I just couldn't see any light. So where, so what, you know, what did the end look like? Like where, where, so, you, uh, you know, and I've spoken about this, the, at, in the end, um, I, I had this moment where I just thought, you know, it was kind of the India thing. I was like, if I could just get locked up mm-hmm. for a couple of days, mm-hmm. you know, I just need to s- stop for a couple of days. And I remember trying one time to stop drinking and I was, I, I remember a roommate came in and I announced to her, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to drink tonight. And she was just like, oh, that's cool. Like unimpressed. And I was like, oh, clearly. <laughs> it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. But since it wasn't a big deal to her, I was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I'm going to drink. That was it. Like, that's the only attempt I ever right. made. So, um, so I, I, uh, I just got to this place where I was like, I, I need to get locked up. So I, I like, I basically kind of tried to overdose and I called 911 and they took me to, um, general and SF general here. And I remember like they put me on a cot and I was up all night. So I was very high. And, um, and there was, it was me and like a bunch of homeless people basically. And, um, and, and, and crazy people I was in, I don't, I don't know. It was weird. It was like this big room full of cots. It was like, I was in a a movie Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I remember they, I saw the guy walk around that next morning. I'd been up all night and he was saying to everybody, you know, so how are you going to get yourself out of here today? Like they were basically getting everyone out. And I remember the feeling of dread. I was like, Mm -hmm. they are going to fucking let me go. I cannot believe this. Like I was actually happy to be there in that place. Yeah. Um, Anyway, (sighs) so he did. And I was so embarrassed by the time he got to me. I was like, these people, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'll I'll go. I'm fine. And then (sighs) I, that day I was like in this crazy fog. I went, I mean, I specifically remember I got my laundry I went to the laundromat while it was washing. I went to the hardware store. I bought a six pack of beer and a pack of razor blades. I, mm-hmm. I was like a, um, like a robot right. and I finished my laundry and I went home and I had drunk, you know, a couple beers. I wasn't really wasted at all though. And I went to the, I parked my car in front of the hospital and cause, cause at this point I'm like, okay, obviously like I need to do something more drastic for people to take right. me seriously. That, that wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by the way, I could have probably called a friend and said I need help, but that was like not in my. Mm-mm. <laughs> not That's mm-hmm. too logical. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I parked my car in front of the hospital and the hospital of my choice, by the way, the nicest one. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I slit both, both of my wrists and I walked into the hospital and I walked into the ER and I said, I showed them my wrists that were bleeding and I said, I need help. And then they checked me in. And from there I went to rehab. I mean, I was, um, I was there at the hospital for a few days and then rehab. And then I went to aftercare. So I had a long supported recovery, a long supported journey. Okay. And that was the end for you. You, you, that was it. States over. Yeah. Yeah. By the grace of yeah. God, that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So you were how old? I mean, it's seven, so you were, you said 17, 27, 27. Yeah. Okay. I think it's yeah. just like, so, it strikes me oh, in that like the bigness of that, um, and I think like it's like the thing that I've always looked at when I've watched you and just um, I've always there's just a bigness there right that has to come out somewhere, and so I think it's just um, that story is I think so fitting to to what you are now and who I know you as now, um, and we can talk about that a little bit later, um, but it's. 
Maybe not. Maybe now we can talk about it. When when you have something like that, right? When you have something that propels you, when you're when you're I mean, killing yourself to that extent, dying to that extent, and then going to measures to save your life. Um, what is that? What do you, what have you, how have you made sense of what that is? Um, and how that comes out now? Does that make sense as a question? Maybe. I mean, you know, I think I, I don't, I'm not, if I'm understanding your question, but I think like part of it for all of us is we have a certain constitution, you know, and we have a certain way that we've learned to interface with the world. And, um, I think that my deep programming, you know, from karma, from past lives, from this life, from my childhood is like this sense of, um, hardcore-ness, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, even the way I grew up, like I said, everybody was like hardcore all the time. Um, and, I think that for me, I have, I don't know, a sense of, um, I just, I have, I've always had this, this very, um, deep sense of like this drive towards something, um, that propels me. And I'm telling you, my teaching has been the same way, by the way, I had no intention of teaching yoga. I've sort of been propelled, um, by this inner, um, energy, and I have just, I think, hopefully become a little more skillful at <laughs> engaging that energy in a way that at this point is much more positive. Right. And yeah. I, I do uh, credit uh, recovery and those spiritual principles of recovery as well as yoga for helping me um, sort of lasso that energy and engage it in a way that's meaningful. Yeah. So, Where so did you, you, yeah, so you stopped and you, I mean, you found yoga, like how soon? Talk about that. Oh, like, and well, I was doing, I had done it. You know, when you, when you live in San Francisco, you can't help it. There's a <laughs> studio on every, on it's every true. corner. I mean, I remember being in a class once and literally almost passing out, coming up in Warrior Two and being like, realizing I hadn't eaten in like two or three days, you know, or something ridiculous. <laughs> Cause I was like, oh my God, I, I need to eat before I do this kind of thing. So it, the seed was there. I do remember like my having a, an experience in Shavasana one time um, before I got sober where my mind was like quiet for a millisecond. And, mm-hmm. and that was a very powerful moment for me. And I remember thinking like, I wonder if that's like how normal people feel most <laughs> of the time. Yeah. Um, so the yoga was there. And... Um, but right away, like as soon as I got sober, um, we were doing it in rehab, actually. Yeah. Um, we were like messing around with it and playing around with it in, in uh, treatment. When I was in treatment, I went to a 30-day treatment center here in San Francisco, Skip Byron, which was amazing. And um, mm. so I think that, you know, I, you know, like in my, my TED Talk, I say that you don't have to pursue your passion. It's, it's pursuing you. And I really mm-hmm. do believe that. I think that this just was meant to be part of my journey. It was always sort of like there for me. I just had to be ready. And um, so once I got sober, I really dug into the yoga because it gave me a great relief. Um, You know, learning to live sober is a big thing and it's not always easy. And the yoga supported so much my program. Um, And, and, and reinforce everything that I was doing, you know, accountability and grace and all of these big sort of um, concepts 
that you're bombarded with when you get sober and the paralyzing fear of how you're going to function now uh, in the world naked. So it feels, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the yoga always was a soft place to land for me. And it really helped um, give me some skills and some tools right away. So well, I, I was, was going to say, was that right my, away? Because yeah. a lot of people don't, you know, I think we've talked to, I think when we talked to Sean Korn, she was like, it was just a physical practice for me for like 10 years. Yeah. Um. And and I have similar experience. So, but you you like especially when you're sober, I think you're you're a hell of a lot more. Um, you're, you're sort of looking for all of that, you know. Yeah. Not you need it. So when did you like you were practicing? How how often were you going? And sort of what what did your practice look like for you? And then when did you decide you were going to teach it? Uh, I I I don't know. I mean, I think that it all just sort of came together. I think when I was going sort of sporadically, you know, fall, I had no like teacher necessarily before I got sober. I was just, um, you know, dropping into classes and stuff like that. But I, and, and the, the fact that it was exercise was a bonus, Mm -hmm. but, um, I was actually, I mean, you know, I was using drugs. I wasn't really into the exercise aspect of it. You know, I felt like I was going to the gym. Um, so the fact that it was physical kind of made me feel in my head like I was going to the gym or something. You know what I mean? Like, um, but that that certainly wasn't what was attractive to me about it. I think deep down, maybe on the surface it was. I was like, oh, I'm going to sweat. But um, I think that right away there was some relief for me in the practice. Um, when I was using and afterwards. Right. Did you have, who was your first teacher that you were like, oh, this person is my, my teacher? Oh, my, well, I mean, I started, uh, with Ashtanga and I did actually a teacher training in the city with the guy who's passed away now named Larry Schultz. Mm-hmm. Um, and I literally just found that training on the internet actually. And, and Holly went sight and unseen, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And my second training, I was sight and unseen too. I was with um in a forest. Yeah. Um, oh, that makes sense. That you, yeah, you. See and you talk her. about that okay. a little bit because you said, I mean, there is a there's a devotion that you have to yoga that is beyond uh, what I've encountered with anybody. Um, and you during your training with Anna, you were getting up. Correct me if I'm wrong. At like two a.m. to do two hours yeah. of yoga with her before, and then yeah. you did the all day training. Yeah. I mean, you know, I have to credit her so much. She really is a healer and, uh, her yoga is, I mean, it's definitely very intense and hardcore, which is what I needed. That spoke to my constitution. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, my practice is very different now, but I would say that, um, she was there for me. And, and this is like, I had just gotten sober when I did her training and, um, she allowed us to come and practice with her before the training. And I was the only crazy MF who did it. <laughs> um, and I would show up and because I just didn't know what else to do with myself, really. Yeah. And yeah. it was such a, um, it was, it was like a lifeline. It was yeah. like an oxygen mask. 
So anytime I could breathe, you know, and and be out of my crazy head was a good time. So I would get up at two in the morning. I would do two hours with her, three hours with her. And then, you know, I'd get up at two and meet her at like three. She and um, her partner, then Jonathan. And then we would get ready for the trainees to come in. Then they would come in. Then I would do the whole training as a trainee. Yeah. Wait, no, I have to know this. Okay, wait. Because a lot of people might not know who Anna Forrest is. Yeah. Uh, she's a big deal in the in the yoga world. Yeah, she and yeah, I, she's, and I yeah. read her book long before I got sober, and it, and it really like woke me up to a lot. Um, fierce medicine, and so you were just you and her practicing. Is she and Jonathan, yeah, her partner. You what is she leading it? Or are you just? Yeah. No, what we would do is we would practice the whole sequence that the trainees were going to practice that morning. We would go through the whole thing together. So then everyone would come in and I would just jump into my spot as a trainee and I would do it all over again. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, typical addict, by the way. But but, you you told me that during training and I was like, I mean, our training was so hardcore. I would go home by the end of the day and I couldn't even eat. And you were doing that. I couldn't wait to get back. I couldn't wait to get back. I mean, you know, I, I just felt like I was making so much progress. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember one time, one of my earlier classes with her, uh, in, I, I remember it like yesterday, I was on my belly in Shalabasana on a back bend and, you know, her practices are extremely sweaty and detoxifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember I could smell cocaine coming out of my skin. Uh, no. And it yeah, kind of freaked like, me out. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want it to be a trigger, but at the same time, I felt like, okay, this is productive. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is leaving. Wow. <laughs> like, this is like deep coming out of my cell tissues. And, you know, I mean, she just was, she's a very supportive teacher when it comes to, you know, she's a wounded healer herself. Yeah. And I think that she was um, able to just see me and it not in any weird codependent way at all. She always held a very good boundary with me. And, um, and she just ha- held space yeah. for me yeah. to do what I needed to do. So, yeah, that was a really, I mean, and I did like, that first year, I did like 1,100 hours of teacher training. Yeah, that's wow. what you said. So how how many trainings is that in a year? I don't know, a lot. <laughs> I did like two, I did like two 200 hours. I assisted a 200 hour. I did like the uh, an advanced training. Um, I basically just followed her around. Okay. And, um, okay. That's pretty and amazing. was there, yeah. and then and that includes like I would do like any visiting teacher that came in and did like a week long thing. I would jump into that. Yeah. I mean, I would, I spent every dime that I made on yoga, and I would I would eat you know half a burrito in the morning and half a burrito at night. That was my meal. My mm-hmm. and here's another like grace thing. My roommate at the time when I was like, hey, I'm gonna be doing this and I'm gonna have to probably move to a cheaper place. And by the way, this place was already really cheap. He was yeah. in recovery. And he said, well, what can you afford? And I told him, and he's like, well, why don't you just pay that? Wow. Yeah. So I was really supported and able to do this kind of stuff. And um, his name was Lyle Ellis. He's an amazing guy. Um, yeah. As you're going through this, what's your, like, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, clearly that's like all your life that year, right? It's consumed by yoga. And I know you're doing it because you didn't know what else to do on some level, but also as you're going through this, what are you thinking you're going to do with, like, are you starting to believe this is what I'm going to do with my life or? No, 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 not, not really. I mean, well, let me think about this. This is so long ago. Um, I had a job, you know, I'd gotten another job, of course, right away. And uh, 
I just, here's what it was. I was doing the trainings, which a lot of people come to my trainings for this too, by the way, just for the, to get more into the yoga and understand mm-hmm. the yoga more. And I knew that every like minute I spent at it, I was healing. Yeah. yeah. And, um, I just really wanted to kind of get on the other side of the crisis. You know, I wanted yeah. to, mm-hmm. and I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I just was d- digging in for really for my own selfish purposes to, um, just continue to sort of like get more ground under my feet and um, be able to stand up for myself and in my life. And um, then maybe God willing, take a step forward, you know? So that's what it was. And then the way I started teaching was someone said, Hey, my friend just opened this studio. She doesn't care if you're good or not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) She just needs teachers. And like, I was like, oh, I can handle that. I was like, sure. Okay, whatever. I'll do a class. I'll teach a class on a weekend or something. And that's basic. And that, and she was very, very supportive. And, and then, you know, I don't know, it just happened. And then she offered more and more classes. And then, um, then before I knew it, that's, oh, oh. And then I had this guy, what my boss, he, he said, you know, he was basically like, do you think you're really in the right career. It seems like you're really into yoga. <laughs> and so you're like, what? I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. So I felt like he's going to fire me. So I quit immediately. Um, and I said, yeah, thank you very much. Goodbye. And then that's basically, I, I took a job working at the front desk at a yoga studio and started teaching some classes and, um, that was it. Yeah. So how long have you been doing it full time? That whole time. So almost 20 years, 17 years. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah, I when you were talking, it reminded me of because um, I started doing yoga way before I got sober too, and I did have this sort of sense that I was it. It was almost like um, it felt as good to me. I had never felt anything that felt as good to me as drinking, mm. um, except for yoga. But yoga was all good. <laughs> Yeah. And I kind of couldn't believe it. It was like, oh, I could, I could do, and, I, and it felt better than drinking. I mean, there was no, you know, there was no hangover or after effect that felt shitty. Um, but I remember consciously thinking like those two things don't coexist. Like I wouldn't practice yoga if I was drinking a lot. Yeah. Um, and I knew that there, that that was a huge trade off for me, mm-hmm. um, especially at the end, I just couldn't do it. So anyway, it's just, it's just interesting. It's like, um, you saying, you know, you were like, you were healing and it mm-hmm. gave you this, this, like you could see you're just building ground and building ground and building ground underneath you. Yeah. I mean, you know, in hearing you say that I do remember, and I think what really, it was the relief that I got, you know, yes, when I was exactly. on yeah. my mat, there was relief. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I know looking back and even now, like that's where I remembered God. That's yeah. where I experienced divinity, a divine force and my own divinity too. My own divinity took longer, but mm-hmm. I felt held. I felt like there's something here for me that is meaningful, that is maybe beyond my comprehension right now, but I'm not giving up until I figure it out. And mm-hmm. I think that's what drove me to be so like obsessively into it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I, empath- or I relate to that for mm-hmm. sure. 
Yeah, and I, I related to that too because I, I did yoga for years. I did Bikram for years. And, and I did like some urban flow. Like I would go and do Rusty's classes on Sundays. Um, but I... I was always doing it. I mean, I felt great afterwards and that was, and that propelled to me, but it was never spiritual and it was mm-hmm. never, it was never, I never connected. I didn't have that millisecond even of like in Shavasana where I felt something else. I couldn't even make my mind stop. Um, I usually didn't even take Shavasana. Yeah. And then I, for me, it was when, when it be, when it turned to recovery, it wasn't even like a conscious decision it was where I had to go and it was the thing that I like I couldn't help but do and I didn't Mm -hmm. do it to the the, even to the like like one 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 hundredth of of the level that you took it to um but still it was the thing I like could not stop doing and it continued to unpack itself and it continued to um just pull the thing out of me that I couldn't name Mm -hmm. um so I get I mean I get that it became spiritual only once uh only in sobriety did it become a spiritual Mm -hmm. practice for me um yeah. So what did your, so what did your, what's your sort of recovery looked like stuff? Like you have yoga, did you, have you done 12 step stuff? Are you, what do you, what did you do at first? And then maybe. Yeah. Sort of I, um, you know, I remember, well, I went to treatment, um, to a 30 day treatment and then a friend of mine in the treatment center was like, I have to go to secondary care, but I don't want to go alone. You have to come with me, you know, very codependent. And (laughs) I was like, really? I was like, what do you mean? You have to live in a house with other people and there's curfews. I was like, that's crazy. I would, why would I ever do that? Like I have an apartment here, you know? And, um, she's like, no, no, come on, please, please, please. You know, and you form these friendships in early recovery that are pretty special. And so I was like, fine, whatever. So I did, I did it and I got rid of my apartment and I signed up for this. It's, it it was, um, you know, it was basically like clean and sober living. So you go in and you have like a, you know, some chores, but you get to go out and do your job and everything. It's not like, you know, you're free to be, um, but there's a curfew, there's house meetings, you know, stuff like that. So it's extra Mm -hmm. supportive. And, um, then at the last minute she bailed on it (laughs) on the secretary and I ended up still going because, you know, I was committed and I was like, and I also was kind of scared about going back into the real world. I wasn't sure what that was going to be like. I had no friends who were sober at all. Um, you know, all my friends are partiers except for a couple people. So I didn't really have anything to go back to. And, um, I thought, I guess, you know, that that's actually feels like a good place to be. So I went and did that for six months after the 30 day and that was a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's yeah. That's, um, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was there and I was happy there and, um, uh, I really, you know, the thing is, it's so great. So anyway, yes, I went, I did AA, I was in, uh, 12 steps and I had sponsor and I did 90 and 90 Mm -hmm. and I was a really good little poster child. I mean, I Mm -hmm. did everything because I was Mm -hmm. so terrified about what my other options were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I clung, I did, I followed every suggestion. I did everything I was told. And, um, you know, I just also didn't know how to live. You know, I had no clue how to survive in the world. I felt Mm -hmm. like, you know, a baby chick in the middle of a speeding highway. Yeah. So I just, anyone who, you know, so thank God, you know, the recovery community is so strong. And I, I did have great, a great, great sponsor who I picked because she had really cool shoes and (laughs) she seems 
to have friends, which I thought was a cool thing. Um, but anyway, my point too is that, you know, as an addict, I isolate very easily and I am a natural introvert on top of that. So um, the secondary housing, I think, was really good for me. It gave me some community. And then, yeah, I did 12-step and that was a huge, I mean, I, I don't know where I'd be without that for mm-hmm. sure. And yeah. I feel like the spiritual principles um, are totally in line with the yoga. So, right. um, yeah, so, are. and I, yeah, I'm still participate in that. And, um, I just, you, do? Think you still a, go to meetings and yep, like, yep. Sponsor not people. 90 and 90, but yes. <laughs> and, um, and it's just such a beautiful, 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 such a beautiful, uh, simple yet sophisticated spiritual program. I mean, you know, nothing beats it in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, and you're and living in a place like San Francisco too. It's like yeah, it's amazing. Um, amazing. We're really lucky. Yeah, I mean that was the other thing uh, being new in recovery in San Francisco. I mean it was like every hour you can find somewhere to be. Yeah. I know it's I great. Know. And a lot of there were a lot of young people, so I do feel very great. You know, lucky uh, to have been to have gotten sober here in the city. Yeah. Um, so I guess I would want to know because it's been a long time now um, mm-hmm. that you've been sober and you have become a mom and you got married. Like what have you felt like? Cause a lot of people here will hear this and they're like 17 years doesn't even make sense to me. Like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. I can't even do 17 days. And, but um, then there will be people too that have, have longer. And I think it's important to talk about sort of what recovery has, like what, what have you gone through in recovery um, that has been either really, really difficult or profoundly, you know, so much more than you expected. Like you were never a drinking mom. Right. Um, Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe some of the, like in 17 years, I'm guessing you experienced everything. I mean, Um, yeah, you know, and I do have to say, I'm not a poster child right now for 12 step programs. Um, I've, I have had periods where I've been really dug in and I've had periods, especially after the kids came where mm -hmm. I was not going to as many meetings and, um, so I've, I've been, you know, I haven't been like a, you know, three meetings a week person forever, you know, the whole time, mm-hmm. um, we know, which has worked for me. I still, I have, uh, good friends who are sober. I think that makes a big difference. And yeah. I don't know if I've gone through, you know, I, I think most of the like stress I've had in the last 17 years has been your regular everyday kind of stuff. Um, yeah which I guess I'm, I'm lucky, uh, so far so good, but I will say that for me, the, um, spiritual solution is where I find that that's the thing that burns up my suffering every time. So whether it's like a big work issue or, um, my kids are sick or, you know, I'd say like the hardest thing. And I I teach yoga for moms on yoga glow too, because Mm -hmm, I, Besides working with people in recovery, like working with mo- moms, being a mom is so hard. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the level of patience and integrity and wow, it's just like you're raising these human beings. And for me, especially men, especially in the world today, yeah. you know, I have this opportunity to raise conscious men and mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it, you know, it can feel like a lot of pressure and you want to do it right and you're only human and it brings up a lot. And um, I, I just always like to say that out loud and talk about that because when I first, when I had my first, um, Wolfgang, he's nine now, I was really like 
I lost my ground for sure. I felt like I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. It was no one talks about how hard it is in the beginning. You have I you're know. up every three hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's really intense and um uh well and you know, it pushes he, every edge that you didn't every even know edge. You had. Yeah. You're you're sleep deprived, you don't know what you're doing. I had no help at all. My husband left town nine days after he was born you know, for like, a, you know, three weeks. And I was by myself in the house God. with a newborn as a new mom. I mean, it was not an easy time. I had a really hard time. Um, even though I was so excited to be a mom and all that stuff. Like, yeah. so I think that the, um, that was a really hard time and just my faith and my faith in, in a higher power. Um, and the understanding that everyone has their own higher power and this little baby has his higher power. And, um, Sinking my teeth into that aspect of the program has been what has gotten me through the harder times of, you know, God's will, not mine, and just do the next right thing. I mean, these are like a couple of my favorite um, guideposts. um, Do you forget all the time? Pardon? Do you forget all the time? Like, to to remember those things? I forget, just do the next right thing often. (laughs) 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 Um. I think I have a pretty good uh, <laughs> understanding of God's will, not mine. I, I, that one, I have to say, is like not so hard for me. Th- God, for good. Tell, tell me, teach me. I don't know. I well, don't know. I mean, I think one of the things that I've gotten, and this is one thing I want you to talk about a little bit, is I mean, you you are really into not just as a yoga teacher. A lot of like a lot of people really believe yoga is just a, a physical practice. I mean, really, yeah. truly, it's the way it's taught. And your classes are not like that. Your classes tend to focus on the dharma and tend to focus on the bigger lesson at hand. And so, I mean, which is why I wanted you to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world right now because you have this very um, um, your devotion is not just to the physical practice of yoga. Your devotion is to yoga. And so oh, yeah. I think like when I think of you, you're you're naturally devoted. Like you're naturally a servant um, mm-hmm. and very humble in your way. And I'm wondering, I mean, my question is, um, what is it? Is that always been? I mean, has that always been? Like, have you always had that... Um, have you yeah. always had that like devotion like within you, that capacity? And then also like how has yoga helped you tap into that and live that? I do think I've always had some kind of connection spiritually, um, even as a young child. Uh, I remember always being into like Mary, you know, I always mm-hmm. felt like, wow, you know, she kind of got a hard, hard deal. And, <laughs> but her motherliness, like her maternal nature was always very attractive to me. So I did, um, I, I have kind of always been that way. I definitely lost a lot of faith in when I hit bottom. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the yoga, yeah. So for me, the yoga has really never the primary, my primary relationship to yoga has never been physical. And, um, I teach the Dharma in my classes. I mean, the way I really teach is like, I teach core work and I make you sweat. And there is something cathartic about that. And there is something cathartic about moving and sweating and finding your edge in a group of people that's both like intimate and shared. That's very Mm -hmm. cathartic. So the physical, not to dismiss it, but I mean, honestly, like if you want me to give you core work so that you'll listen to me talk about God, that's a deal I will make. Totally. And um, (laughs) so my classes are physically challenging, but my goal as a teacher, my focus is to share the sacred texts of yoga, which is where 
be what we call the Dharma or the teachings of yoga. And I teach from the sutras and I teach a lot from the Bhagavad Gita and a little bit from the Upanishads. And um, all of the texts are driving us in, you know, are, are giving us lots of different ways inside because that is the only place where we find freedom. And so offering the tools that the sacred texts give us in my public classes is my goal because you know, talk about faith. Like I have 100% faith in the practice that whatever you're suffering from, whatever it is that you are burdened by, um, the practice can address that. And and you can engage the practice in a skillful way to relieve your suffering. And I also feel like the state of the world today, like you mentioned, you know, we have to clean up our own stuff if we're Mm going to be of service to the world. And, um, you know, there's no time to waste. It's very indulgent to sort of like to entertain your own bullshit. And um, we all need to dig in and clean up our own stuff and get clear so that we can have clear perception so we can see what's actually in front of us so that we can take action that's going to be um, purposeful and positive and change the world in a positive way. So, you know, I love that yoga holds us individually. Uh, You know, we're held accountable and asks us to stand up and then move out and make a difference. That's right. So how did you get in? I mean, you weren't always, you weren't always reading, you know, the sutras, like how, how did you find, how did you find that? And how do, how have you, I mean, you're, you know, you're an encyclopedia, um, soulful encyclopedia. How did you get, how did you get there? What was your way in and what, how did you study to learn what, I mean, you can tell any story. So, um, well, I love it. So, you know, that's part of it. I just truly, truly love it. And I have had great teachers, so I can't take credit for any of that. I, um, have to thank my very generous and smart teachers and, um, I have lots of different teachers for different things, you know? So I have like Nikolai Bachman and Ramanand Patel and T.S. Little and different teachers, Richard Rosen, that I've learned philosophy from, a lot of self-study. You know, I read the sacred text every single day without fail, at least mm-hmm. once, sometimes three or four times a day. It's like all like over my Like you just house. open it up and yeah. And, yeah. Yep. And, and when I you say the sacred text, can you list them? Uh, I mean Upanishads. I mean Yoga Sutras. I mean Bhagavad Gita. I mean Hatha Yoga Pradipika. Um, these are the main ones. Mm-hmm. There are some other sort of more esoteric texts, but they're all over. My husband says our house looks like a gift shop. <laughs> um, they're in my car. They're everywhere so that I can pick it up. And and here's why, because I have found that they are helpful. <laughs> like there are real answers in these texts for mm-hmm, real yeah. life situations. Yeah. And um, the teachings are so accessible. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. But, you know, also that's come from a long time of studying them. So my understanding has become more sophisticated and mature, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I first read the sutras, it, it really did kind of all go over my head. But for mm-hmm. some reason, I kept at it. Um, and then I've done much more sort of intense diving in, you know, like one of my teachers, Ramananda, I did five days with him on the, we got through like a l- couple pages of the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> yeah, you can spend your entire life. Yeah, you can unpack these things forever. And the beautiful thing about the sacred text is like, I will understand it differently depending on that day. Yeah. Yeah. So it never, it's so generous. Like you're never done. It's so amazing. Like you can be engaged forever. Mm-hmm, and right. um, it's like yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. It's it exactly. Never ends. It is yoga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Cause I think, um, I think, well, what I take from it, um, 
some people will hear this and, you know, these like books they've either never heard of or they just seem big and way out there. But I think you just start wherever you just start wherever. Um, right. Like, yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the assignments I give my teacher trainees is every single day they have to open either the Gita or the sutras because those are the most accessible Mm -hmm. and read something and just, you know what, it will do its work on you. Like, even if you don't totally understand it, um, your subtle body will receive the teaching. There's a vibration to the teaching and the, um, teaching will sort of unpack itself within you and reveal itself to you when the time is right. So you may read something that seems random in the morning and then later that day it comes to you like, oh, that's what that was saying. Or, you know, you have a conflict and one of these teachings will come to you. So the daily study is like you're, you know, filling your bank account. And when you need to withdraw, it's there. When you need that resource, it's there. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. Yeah, you taught me to love the Bhagavad Gita and to understand, I mean, to start to understand it. I've read it just it. makes your life better. Like, who it wouldn't does. want that? Well, I've read it like six <laughs> times since I took your training. Um, yeah. 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 The texts are the most beautiful thing. I mean, I just can't say enough about the text. And um, I, I will say, too, that, like, what's important to me as a teacher is teaching these things in a way that I'm teaching these ancient, sacred um, words of wisdom, right, and, and offering these tools but I'm offering them to people who have very challenging, messy lives, who have yeah. jobs and relationships and, you know, right. major achievements and huge failures, which are, by yeah. the way, the kind of the same thing. So um, teaching people as they are and helping people understand they can apply these teachings to, to their lives, like right now in this moment, you don't have to live in an ashram or be a vegan yes. uh, to benefit. Right. Yeah. What... um. I don't want to fast forward too much, but I guess I maybe I'm not. I, so tell us about love story and like how <gasps> oh, that came about and your new your new home. Yeah, we just opened our uh, opened this studio in San Francisco on Valencia Street in the Mission. It's in the best location ever, and oh. part of what's so great about that location is that. We have such a strong community, and I wanted to support the community. And so there's places to get coffee or dinner, you know, and you can really integrate yoga into your social life. Um, And Had this been a thing for you for a long time? Like, where you Yeah, I mean, it it kind of had. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons. Everything came together, like, Mm -hmm. as does. You know, I... Mm -hmm. Someone approached me, and then the time sort of seemed right, and then... um, I was sort of looking around at what existed and I really did see a space that was uninhabited in terms of what I wanted to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, this is something that could be fucking amazing and I'm going to do it. And um, I was super energized about it and I still am. It's the best thing I've ever done professionally mm-hmm. in terms of like how much pleasure I've gotten out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you believe it? You own a studio in San Francisco. Well, you know, I, I don't feel even like that. I feel like it's not that at all. I feel like it's, it's erecting a home yeah. for a community that has supported me for all these years. Yeah. It's like, and and that is that. that's what it, yeah. yeah, and it is that because I mean my friends are your students and it's like it um it feels different than it just being like oh there's a great new yoga studio. It's more like oh we have a place to go. Um cuz we lost that. We did have a home, you know, at Urban. Um, yeah, for sure. 
and we lost that. And so it was just sweet. You saw what Scott, one of one of um, one of my friends and one of your students, wrote me. Wrote me a postcard from it one night after class, and it's just. Um, it's a, such a reflection of of um, of what you've already created. It just puts a physical location together. Um, yeah, we have those postcards with, you know, <laughs> with um, so that if you hear something in class that was moving, or if you had an epiphany in class, or if you thought of someone in class, or you heard something that could help someone else, you can right away just write it down on a postcard, and you <laughs> put it in a box, and then we'll mail it for you. So so, yeah, (laughs) so you'll get that reminder for yourself or you'll be able to send love to someone else and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. To support you and support the yoga in your everyday life. It will show up at your doorstep. That's beautiful. How did you come up with the name? Cause it's my favorite. Um, thank you. Well, let's see. (laughs) I, naming a business is really hard. Um, you know, you have all these brilliant ideas, they're all taken. And, uh, I was thinking, you know, what do I want? I, I, the way I teach, I teach very traditional yoga actually, but in very plain real talk. And I wanted the name to reflect how profound yoga can be in one's life, but mm-hmm. I didn't want to say it in Sanskrit. Um, you know what I mean? I didn't mm-hmm. want it to, and I'm, I'm very like allergic to like new agey stuff. So, um, <laughs> you know, I just didn't really want to go that direction. And, and that, yeah. so that was the combo is, is I wanted to honor the, um, the sacred aspect of it. And at the same time in my voice. And, um, so I a love story came to be. And, and to me, it was, it, you know, one of the, one of the ways my partner was like, well, when we were thinking of different names, you know, he emailed me. He's like, what's the one thing you want people to feel, you know? And I said, love, like right away, there was nothing, nothing else. And, um, so it started with that. And then I realized like, this is the greatest love story of my life. And not only that, but, um, I've seen it become that for other people. I've seen them fall back in love with themselves, fall back in love with their life, make friends with their difficulties. You know, I've seen that happen thousands and thousands of times over these many years. And um, so to me, love story and love story yoga was just like the perfect fit. So perfect. I love it. I was, it's one of those where I, I was almost jealous. Like I'm never going to open a studio, but I was almost jealous in that it's like, oh God, it's like, um, it was just so, so good. I love it. Thanks. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. So I can't wait to go. Last question, and um, yeah. I'm curious. Um, what is it that you think your dharma is? I mean, we ask everyone what their job is, right? Like what they think, why mm-hmm. they think they're here, what they think their job is. Um, and I have my ideas about what you might think it is, but I'd love to hear what you think, you're, why you're here, what your dharma is. Um, I think my dharma is actually like the same as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it manifests differently for everyone, right? right? So, you know, I'm a mom and I'm a yoga teacher and I'm a wife and I'm a daughter and all of this is part of my dharma. But my drishti, my gaze, my my real purpose is to continue on this path and remembering that uh, everything, everyone is God, Mm-hmm. And if I continue to step forward into the into that as my dharma, as experiencing everyone and everything as God, then the job, the relationship, all of that will fall into place. Yeah. And how do you do that? How do you like? How do you practice that? How do you remember that? 
Uh, I stay close to my meditation practice. I stay sober and um, I continue to, um, in a disciplined way, study the spiritual principles of the practice. So um, I don't let myself go too far off the ranch. And, you know, I have to say like, you know, yoga is such a big wide open space when you first step on that path. It's like exciting. There's poses and there's you know, breath work and there's meditation and there's, but like, as you continue to walk down, that path becomes more and more narrow. I mean, it becomes like razor sharp. And then if you step off even a little bit, the discomfort is great. Mm -hmm. So, um, when I'm in discomfort, I immediately know where to go. And that's Mm -hmm. back to the practice, back to like the yamas and the niyamas, back to the philosophy, back to, um, the spiritual solution. So that's how is, um, staying awake to, um, where I'm at, what I'm doing, why I'm doing it. Is it serving this purpose of experiencing the world as God? Or is it not? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love it. Thank you. I've been crying the whole time. <laughs> Holly cries during every show, so I don't well, really know. No, no, I, not like, no, don't discount it. It's, um, it's really an honor. Um, knowing you and learning from you has been an honor. So um, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And um, thank you for doing your work. Hey, you guys, thank you for doing so much good work in the world too. You've definitely stepped into your dharma and I commend you for it. It's just such a good, clear voice in the recovery community. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Steph. Thanks. We're going to see you in May. Oh yeah, you guys are coming, right? Yeah, yeah. We're teaching at Love Story. <laughs> Never not broken. Never not. Never not broken. broken. So exciting! Yeah. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah, yeah. I'm very excited. I am too. I, am too. I have I only love- experienced San Francisco as a drinking place. That's not oh, a well, place I've gone to sober and like rewritten it's not my story. So bad sober too. It's not. <laughs> it's pretty good sober. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Love thanks, you guys. Love Bye. you too. Bye. Infinitely so